Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Have you been missold pensions advice? Last month, the FT broke the story of widespread regulatory concerns over the suitability of financial advice given to tens of thousands of people who have cashed in their final salary pensions, transferring them to more flexible arrangements. Should you be worried? Stay tuned for more. Bank overdrafts are about to get a lot more expensive in the UK, with most lenders set to charge 40% interest from this spring, following a regulatory shake-up. The banks might say most people won't pay more, but keep listening to hear how the changes could affect you. And does your financial advisor speak your language? FT columnist Moira O'Neill has spoken out against the widespread use of Latin terms in the investment world. Should it be allowed to continue ad infinitum? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's news. Nearly 400,000 people have cashed in final salary pensions since 2015 when pension freedoms gave individuals greater flexibility over how to manage their retirement funds. If your fund is worth more than 30,000, you need to receive independent financial advice before you can proceed with a transfer. However, regulator the Financial Conduct Authority has expressed serious concerns about the suitability of transfer advice given by financial advisors who say yes, fearing that the UK's £200 billion pension transfer market could be the source of the next consumer mis-selling scandal. Well, here with the story is Joe Cumbo, the FT's pension correspondent. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Well, what kind of bad practice is the regulator concerned about here? Well, the FCA says too many advisors are delivering poor advice, much of it driven by conflicts of interest in the way they are paid. Mm. In particular, the practice of something called contingent charging, which is basically where the advisor only gets paid if the pension transfer proceeds, i.e. the customer follows their advice. And this creates an obvious conflict of interest. Now, the reason why the regulator is so concerned about this market is that its basic position is, it says to advisors, you should start from the position that a pension transfer, a DB pension transfer is not going to be in the best interests of most of your customers, i.e. they should stay put and not transfer. The problem is, is that uh, the regulator has been looking into the market and it's 
found that transfer rates for some advisors are as high as 70%. So the the recommendations are to 70% of customers to transfer. And it's worried because it says that's too high. So when it dug deep into these files to have a look at some of the reasons why people were being advised to transfer, it found these problems and these concerns, such as advisors weren't doing a proper job, asking the key questions to find out what the client's uh, financial situation, for example, if they had other pension pots or their savings and investments or getting to know what they wanted, you know, what their objectives were. This is a basic suitability assessment. So they were finding that there were, you know, there were failings in those areas. They call them poor fact finds on the client's wider financial circumstances. And then there were other um, use of generic objectives to justify a client's transfer, such as taking control of their pension doesn't, isn't really good enough. The, the regulator expects those objectives to be much clearer than that. Sounds like Dominic Cummings could have been trying to transfer his final salary pension. <laughs> um, I mean, other examples of bad advice, and this is quite popular, this has popped up quite a lot, is including prioritising the inheritance tax advantages of moving into a pension, which which became far more attractive since 2015 to move pension freedoms, made it more attractive to shift a DB pension into a DC pension where the the money can pass to your beneficiaries tax-free if you die before 75, you have an untimely death. But the regulator says that other options to provide protection for family members should be considered alongside um, this DC benefit of moving to a transfer pension, such as taking out life cover, and advisors weren't taking that into account. Thanks for giving us so many ways in which pension transfers could have been missold. But the real worrying thing about your story is how widespread these problems could be. This is the big worry, and this is what we we wrote about last month, is that the, the FCA has found potential concerns with more than three quarters of advisors operating in the pension transfer market. So that is indicative of a systemic problem in this market with transfer mis-selling. So the FCA has written to 1,600 firms, around 1,600 firms, explaining its concerns and reminding them of their obligations to comply with regulatory standards, including asking them to consider whether they should pay redress to customers who have been Missold. Now, further, 187 firms have been subject to other regulatory interventions such as visits from the regulator, enforcement actions, or they've been told to stop giving pension transfer advice. So that's quite serious. And the regulator is considering enforcement action against 18 firms. Now, a lot of people listening who've maybe transferred a pension might be thinking, well, is my financial advisor among, um, you know, one one of these hundreds, many hundreds of firms who have been uh, singled out for criticism by the FCAA? I mean, how can they find out if that's the case? Well, you can't. Um, consumers are being left in the dark by the regulator. They're not making public or they're keeping secret the names of firms that they've sent letters to, that they've visited, or they're taking action against. There's no public list. So there's no way that you would know if it's one of your firms. Now, the FCA says it's completing further work with these firms before determining whether customers have been wrongly persuaded to transfer and adding that it will force firms to pay redress if warranted by the evidence. However, some experts say that the regulator should be going a step further right now and forcing firms where it does have worries to write to consumers, notifying them that they might have been missold and giving them a specific deadline 
to complain. Now, it's worth noting that in 2012, with the payment protection insurance scandal, you remember that, that's still going on, the FCA did set standards for companies suspected of mis-selling PPI to write to customers, and they forced them to write to customers, millions of customers, telling them that they might have been missold and telling them when they what they can do to complain, etc. But even though the, the stakes, uh, the financial stakes involved with pension transfers are far higher than a PPI policy, the FCA is not going that far yet. Yet being the operative word. But as always, Joe, when we write about this topic, we get some fascinating comments online from FT.com readers. And many of them have been complaining about how hard it is now becoming to get transfer advice and how expensive it is. Um, Case in point, one reader, J.K. DeBee, um, he had plenty of assets to fund his retirement, not just his final salary pension, and he wanted to transfer that to a SIP. But he ended up seeing four different advisors before he found one that would complete the transfer. Um, He writes online, the first advisor said they wouldn't advise me to transfer under any circumstances, so just sticking with the FCA advice. Advisor two wanted a £10,000 fee and a further £7,000 to cover their professional indemnity premium on the advice, he says. Now, advisors tell us this is a growing problem for them, having to meet the cost of those bills. But the third advisor said they would only advise on my transfer on the condition that they managed my pot afterwards for a hefty annual fee. And this, he says, was a high-profile name too reminiscent of the contingent uh, charging problem that you mentioned earlier, Joe. And then the fourth advisor said that they would provide the advice but for a fee of £4,000. He took them up on this and transferred his pension, but he said even the advisor's written advice was not to move thus reducing, I suspect, their risk of being sued. And that reader goes on to say, while there are a lot of negative comments on the article about the risks of pension transfers, he feels the performance of the advice industry is a sad indictment as to why people need to be so careful. Your thoughts on this, Joe? Well, this is definitely a problem that has been growing in the industry. Consumers are struggling to get advice because professional indemnity insurers, which provide cover or insurance to advisors in case they are sued for mis-selling. They've started to raise their premiums because they're worried about a mis-selling scandal and this has made it harder for the advisors to afford those fees. In some cases, they've increased by 500%. So they're withdrawing from the business. So there's fewer advisors. The market for advice is shrinking. Consumers are struggling to find advice and even the ones that they do get who want to see them as our, um, the comments uh, in, in the story show, they're very expensive or they're willing, to, they'll do it, but at uh, the consumer's own risk. So from here, the industry has been urging the government to intervene in this market and do something to address the pressures and the pinch on the industry in terms of advice. I mean, there still is this requirement on an individual if they want to transfer pension, they need to get advice if it's over the size of £30,000, but they've got problems if they can't find an advisor who's going to do that for them. So there is continuing pressure on the government, indeed the regulators, to consider how this 
how this problem with the shrinking advice pool will be will be sorted. Well, I'll, I'll end this report by reading out a very funny um, comment on your article from an FT reader called Mr Grumpy, who says, my gas boiler is 21 years old, so I invited a heating engineer to quote me for a new one. He told me it would cost about £2,500, but advised I should not change it because it was working fine and the new ones are more expensive to maintain. I thought to myself he should become an independent financial advisor. Well, thanks very much there to Mr Grumpy and to all the readers, um, in fact, who commented on Joe's article. You can read the piece, Have You Been Missold Pensions Transfer Advice, now on ft.com slash money. Banking customers are seeing red over changes to overdrafts that will see many lenders up their interest rates to 40% by April. That is around double the rate you would expect to pay for borrowing on a credit card. So could this end up costing you? Here on the line is Guy Anker, money-saving experts, managing editor and an expert in all forms of personal finance. Welcome to the podcast, Guy. Thank you for that nice intro. Well, this regulation, I have to say, is a bit of a double-edged sword because on the one hand... The huge fees for unauthorised overdrafts are being swept away. But on the other hand, those using authorised overdrafts could end up paying a lot more. That's right. And actually, then you have another level of complexity, because even within the people within their authorised overdraft, some will actually pay less, Um, especially people that were going from a a daily or a monthly charging system to an interest rate. You might well be paying less on smaller overdrafts. But you're absolutely right. Lots of people in an authorised overdraft will still pay a lot more. Um, And what it really does is it reinforces a point we've been making for years. And and that's the overdraft. Sounds simple, this, but not everyone gets it. Overdrafts are a debt. They are an expensive debt. It's not your money and you're going to have to pay it back. I can remember being a student and getting my, it's about 20 years ago now, unfortunately, getting my overdraft expended and thinking, woohoo, free, free money. I got it wrong. Um, I now know a little bit more. Um, and I, I think some people fall into the, the exact trap I did. What, what these changes do is, I don't know whether they'll be positive, negative, neutral overall, but whether you pay more or you pay less, you're still paying a lot for an overdraft, unless you're lucky enough to have a, a fee-free one. Um, so just bear in mind just how expensive they are. Yes, absolutely. And I should say for any students listening, obviously the interest-free overdraft is a massive, massive part of the student accounts and all of the big banks that the FT spoke to said they weren't making any changes to student overdrafts. But that said, for the rest of us, big changes are coming. Now, the banks are broadly moving to 39.9% rates of annual interest on overdraft borrowing across the board. But the big differentiator in this market, like you say, Guy, is the size of that interest-free overdraft buffer zone that the banks will offer customers use of for free. Now, where can people get the best deal on those? Yes, I'm, I'm cheating here slightly. I'm actually using some FT research I'm looking at, at the moment, which you, which you guys did. Um, and um, as, you, as you rightly pointed out, um, some of the, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to qualify for premier accounts, HSBC, Barclays, Santander, um, you can get up to £500 as, as an interest-free buffer. Um, and you know, look, looking, looking further across the market, um, Lloyd's gives 50 quid. Um, First Direct and M&S, 250. Um, none of these are guaranteed, of course. You still need to qualify for the for the overdraft itself. It's assuming you do get the overdraft and that you'll be credit scored there. But importantly, some buffers are being scrapped. So I've given you the good news just now. Mm. Um, I'm looking at um, um, NatWest as an example, um, and NatWest Group, including RBS, of course. Um, it used to give some, well, it still does, but it's about to stop it, give some 
customers a buffer of anything between about 10 and going right up to 500 pounds in extreme cases these buffers are actually going and even lloyds i mentioned that they they're giving a 50 pound buffer to some customers that will actually have reduced for some people they would have got more um, before these changes so Yes, there is there is some light for some for some people, but even where a buffer exists, it may not be quite the buffer it used to be. Right, exactly. And even on the Barclays Premier account, you used to be offered a thousand pounds, so that's actually coming down uh, to five hundred. And the changes are happening in March now. That might come as a surprise to some customers. I mean, I haven't had a letter from my bank yet, um, although many people may be getting one fairly imminently. Yeah, and um, I've asked this, been asked this question a lot. Have banks done the right, have a good enough job of explaining this to people? Well, clearly, if you haven't got your letter or your email, your text, then in your case, not not good enough. Um, from what I've seen personally, this is my own accounts and, and readers, um, our readers, you know, sh- showing their their letters to us. I feel that the actual factual information, what, what what's it going to? is reasonably clear from what I've seen. Um, Obviously, if you're not getting the letter, that's a problem in its own right. Where I think they haven't done a good job, though, is explaining the implications. Now, it's difficult because you're... You're looking into the future. You know, in the future, what if your overdraft was this? What if your overdraft was that? Am I going to be better or worse off? I mean, we, we've we've crunched the numbers on some accounts. You know, with Barclays, it's really complicated. For example, you know, less than eighteen hundred quid. Assuming you're overdrawn for seven days a month, you're slightly better off. If you're overdrawn between eighteen hundred and two grand, you're slightly worse off. I could go on and on. There, there's so many of these. Yeah, you're all right here. You're not so all right there. We're many right banks across. Have, have actually put overdraft fee calculators on their website i've noticed which i have to say is a is a good thing one of the positive effects of of the new legislation perhaps making them be more transparent about what customers can expect to be charged that 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 is good but i probably would like to see more on the letters maybe looking at people's past behavior you know i certainly didn't get it in mind although it was explained to me what you know what my new rate would be it didn't say well based on your behavior over the last 12 months you'll you know you'll be paying this versus that previously you know maybe i'm asking a lot there but hey that's what they're there to do they're there to also they're there to make money but they're also you know a service for us and the fca rightly insists that they treat their customers fairly people who will be disadvantaged by this i probably would have liked to have seen a bit more clarity about what it actually means in pounds and pence for them Yes, they'll have to model it, but some of that modelling would have been useful. Well, there you have it. Get smart or get stung. Thanks very much there to Guy Anker, Managing Editor of Money Saving Expert. And do check out the FT Guide to the Best Deals on Interest-Free Overdraft, showing you which banks are offering the largest interest-free buffer zones if you pass the credit check. And you can find that now on ft.com slash money. And finally... Does your investment advisor speak your language? Well, Moira O'Neill, head of personal finance at Interactive Investor, argued in her FT column last week that the use of Latin has no place in the investment world. But it's a debate that has divided the FT's rather well-educated audience. Moira joins me now in the studio. Welcome, Moira, or should I say, salve. Salve, Claire. (laughs) So tell us what you've been writing. Well, I am a lover of Latin. I did read classics at university and I've got two kids now who are reading, who are studying Latin too and seem to be enjoying it so far. Um, They're both at state schools, which surprises me, but there you go. Um, But I'm afraid when it comes to the wider investment world in which I work, I don't love it 
quite so much. I think it becomes the use of Latin in the investment world becomes a barrier to understanding and sets it up as kind of an elite uh, world that not everybody can navigate. Well, it's interesting that many of the Latin terms that you mentioned in your article are used to describe the fees that investors pay, perhaps helping advisors to, uh, you know, to say, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a Latin term, you know, explain away uh, the, the, the reasons for why charges are being applied in the way that they are. I mean, give us a couple of examples. Well, the, the use of one term in particular, ad valorem, which I have spotted being used by some advisors, accountancy firms and wealth managers, um, sometimes even in the name of the firm, so mm. like ad valorem accountants, it raises an important question because I think that when you're using a term such as this, which defines, it, it means it's you're being charged in proportion to the value and your charges go up and down as the value of your investments um, go. In other words, it's a percentage fee. So when that's used, but it's called ad valorem, I think that means... It's an example of someone just sounding clever in a bid to distract you from the way you're being charged. Now, ad valorem in itself or percentage-based charges is not a bad thing in itself. For some investors, it can work out well. For others, a flat fee may work out better. It all depends on you. But I think uh, say, say what it is on the tin. Don't put the Latin in front of it. And there are so many other examples of Latin being used across the industry. I mean, one example is the widespread use of ex-ante and ex-post charges disclosures, um, which has come in via the regulator in relation to something called MIFID 2, which I'm not going to go into because I just seem to be spouting jargon all the time now. Um, but ex-ante and ex-post are referred uh, a reference to your expected and actual costs of investing. And this is, you know, when, you, when you're inside the industry, it's there all the time. And I think there's a risk that this kind of stuff then creeps into customer communications or letters, that it, or there's also a risk that people who are using it in their workplace don't really understand what it is. And I think we've really got to put scrutiny on this area and, and and ban it is my preference. Well, there was also an interesting piece of research that Interactive Investor had done um, asking particularly about that, that term, ad valorem, the sweeping um, of, you know, skimming of fees, if you like, from the, from the top of the pot. They asked um, investors, what do you think ad valorem means? Do you understand what it means? And most people didn't know what it meant. No, they didn't at all. Um, and, you know, only 17% of uh, to the 2,000 UK adults that we surveyed knew what ad valorem meant. And that means a lot of people may not understand the charges they're paying on their investments and how they add up over time. Um, and I just think um, the alternative, fixed fees um, in pounds and pence on your investments, um, doesn't have an equivalent Latin or Greek term that I've heard of anyway. And it's simpler. There's probably, probably a good reason for that. Well, the comments on your column online, Moira, show how this has divided the FT's rather well-educated audience. Some of your critics say that these Latin terms have got specific legal meanings and that if people don't understand them, they could simply type them into a search engine. Well, well, that's true. But on the other hand, do you really want to alienate an audience? And do you want to, in particular, alienate potentially a younger audience mm -hmm. from your from your world? I mean, I think 
these are classic, I'm, I'm going, to, going to agree with the reader who says these are classical examples of Latinorum, i.e. a show-off culture, power and education meant to obfuscate, not to clarify. And it does all depend on the context. So if I'm Boris Johnson, uh, putting Latinorum into everything when I'm communicating to the public, I don't think that's a that's a good thing. If I'm an investment manager putting Latinorum into my um, my uh, letters to customers explaining performance as an anus horribilis, which I've seen examples of, um, I think that's not a great idea. If on the other hand, I'm in my private life having a dinner uh, dinner party with like-minded peers and I'm using Latinorum, fine. It's all about the context. And um, uh, there's also a reader who commented, in my country, the bourgeoisie does exactly the same, but with English jargon. Oh, interesting. This is all about the context. And and, uh, I think it's very important to make sure that you're communicating in the way your target audience wants to receive the information. Well, well said, Moira, although I note that some of the other commentators consider you a persona non grata uh, <laughs> for suggesting <laughs> that Latin terms are removed from the finance world because they argue that Latin is one of the cornerstones of the English language. There was one commentator who said, are we to go back to the golden age of the Saxon kingdoms for guidance as to how to write an investment prospectus? <laughs> I, I love that and I accept that challenge that we do have a, a Latin base for our language but I think we have to think about what is common daily usage of language and and communicate in that way so that everybody understands it. Well, thanks very much there to Moira O'Neill, Head of Personal Finance at Interactive Investor. That's it for the FT Money podcast this week. If you would like to get in touch with me or our team of experts, you can email us money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter for the latest breaking news at FT Money. The FT Money podcast was produced and edited in London by Lucy Warwick-Ching, and we will be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.